Section 15 of Herbals, Their Origin and Evolution, A Chapter in the History of Botany. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Herbals, Their Origin and Evolution, A Chapter in the History of Botany, by Agnes Arbor. Chapter 9. Conclusions. A general review of the subjects discussed in the foregoing chapters brings home to us several results of some interest. Perhaps the most obvious of these is the incalculable debt which botany owes to medicine. An overwhelming majority of the herbalists were physicians who were led to the study of botany on account of his connection with the arts of healing. As we have already pointed out, medicine gave the original impulse not only to systematic botany, but also to the study of the anatomy of plants. However, as the evolution of the herbal proceeded, we have shown that botany rose from being a mere handmaid of medicine to a position of comparative independence. This is well exemplified in the history of plant classification. When the early medical botanists attempted any arrangement of their material, it was on a purely utilitarian basis. The herbs were merely classified according to the qualities which made them of value to man. But as the science grew, the need of a more systematic classification began to make itself felt and in some of the works published in the latter half of the period we are considering, there is a distinct, if only partially successful, attempt to group the plants according to the affinities which they present when considered in themselves, and not in relation to man. The idea of a natural system in the vegetable kingdom in which each plant should find its inevitable place must have been clear, for instance, to De Labelle, when he wrote in the Adversaria of an order than which nothing more beautiful exists in the heavens or in the mind of a wise man. Second only to the debt of botany to medicine is its debt to certain branches of the fine arts, more especially wood engraving. The draftsman and engraver not only disseminated the knowledge of plants, but their work must often have revealed to the botanist features which had escaped his less highly educated and subtle eye. As we have already pointed out, the art of plant description lagged conspicuously behind that of plant illustration. The vague and crude but often picturesque accounts given by the early herbalists of the plants which they observed contrast curiously with the technically accurate but colorless and impersonal descriptions from the pens of modern botanists. The rapid rise of botany in the two centuries which we have reviewed must have been greatly stimulated by the cosmopolitanism of the savants of the Renaissance. Periods of study at a succession of different universities and wide European travel, including visits to scientific men of various countries, seem to have formed part of the recognized equipment of the botanical student. Possibly the zeal for travel was not altogether spontaneous, but was artificially stimulated by the religious disturbances so common at the period of the Reformation and later, which often drove into exile the adherents of the Reformed faith, among whom many botanists were numbered. This is exemplified in the cases of William Turner, Charles de Lecluse, and the Bauhines. It is interesting to notice that in the work of the best herbalists of the 16th and 17th centuries, such, for instance, as Bach, Turner, Dodens, and Gaspard Bauhin, we find, comparatively speaking, little belief in any kind of superstition connected with plants, such as the doctrine of signatures or astrology. A number of books dealing with such topics appeared during the period we have considered, but their writers form a class apart and must not be confused with the herbalists proper, whose attitude was, on the whole, marked by a healthy skepticism which was in advance of their time. It would naturally be far from true to say that they were all quite free from superstition, but considering the intellectual atmosphere of the period, their enlightenment was quite remarkable. 
When we come to consider the origin of the herbal, we find that it is impossible to assign any date for its beginning. In manuscript form, herbals have existed from very early times, but in the present book, those prior to the invention of printing have been scarcely touched upon. Our subject has been limited to the most active life period of the printed herbal, which may be reckoned as beginning in the last quarter of the 15th century, with the Book of Nature, the Herbarium of Apelius, and the Latin and German Herbarius. When this active period ended is less easily decided, but in some senses it may fairly be taken as covering only the comparatively short space of 200 years. There are, of course, a very large number of later herbals belonging to the end of the 17th, the 18th, and even the 19th and 20th centuries, but their importance in the history of botany appears to the present writer to be relatively small, and hence in this volume attention has been almost entirely confined to works which appeared before 1670. After this period, botany rapidly became more scientific. The discovery of the function of the stamens, which was first announced in 1682, making a very definite step in advance. As time went on, the herbal, with its characteristic mixture of medical and botanical lore, gave way before the exclusively medical pharmacopoeia on the one hand and the exclusively botanical flora on the other. As the use of homemade remedies declined and the chemist's shop took the place of the housewife's herb garden and still room, the practical value of the herbal diminished almost to vanishing point. The best epoch in the history of the herbal, from the point of view of book illustration, is confined within much narrower limits than the two centuries we have been considering. The suggestion has been made and seems thoroughly justified that the finest period should be reckoned as falling between 1530 and 1614, that is, between the woodcuts of Hans Weiditz in Brunfels Herbarium Vive Icones and the copper plates of Crispian de Passe in the Hortus Floridus. This good period thus lasted less than 100 years and belongs chiefly to the 16th century. From the artistic point of view, its zenith is perhaps reached in the wood engravings which illustrate Fuchs' great work De Historia Stirpium, 1542 though from a more strictly scientific standpoint, the drawings by Camerarius and Gessner, which appeared in 1586 and 1588, may be said to bear the palm. As far as the text is concerned, the culmination of the botanical works of the period under consideration may be regarded as foreshadowed in the Sturpium Adversaria Nova of Pena and de Lobel, 1570-71, and attained in the Padromus, 1620, and the Pinax, 1623, of Gaspard Balhine. In the works of the latter author, classification, nomenclature, and description reach their high watermark, though it is to Lebel and his precursor Bach, one of the German fathers of botany, that we owe the first definite efforts after a natural system. It is pleasant to remember that Jean Balhine, to whom his younger brother Gaspard probably owed his first botanical inspiration, was a pupil of Leonard Fuchs at Tübingen, so that the latter has a double claim to be associated with the results of the herbal period at its best. We began this book with a portrait of Leonard Fuchs, and we may well conclude with his name, that of the greatest and most typical of 16th century herbalists. End of chapter 9 End of Herbals, Their Origin and Evolution, A Chapter in the History of Botany, by Agnes Arbor